Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. I want to thank you all for everything that you do for us. I couldn't possibly name it all this morning, um, but from hosting a cookout for us in the fall to hosting baptisms here this past semester as we kicked it off, we had 110 family members, coaches, teammates, um, as four of our athletes stood up and um, declared the glory of God in their lives and then got baptized. It was such a beautiful thing. We host our leadership meetings on Sunday nights, um, some of our women's Bible studies, our office space, and then um, we let Joe come and lead our cross-country huddle and speak at some of our meetings. And I'm telling you, um, you all have been wonderful partners. And so this morning, I want to tell you, um, it's time to celebrate. This is, this is celebration time in our ministry um, because we are wrapping things up. And this year, we have set some PRs, some personal records. Um, in terms of numbers of engagement in our ministry this year, it, it has been crazy. Um, we, I told you before, we often average somewhere between 70 and 80 in our meetings. Um, and this semester, we crushed it. We could never get 100. We had over 100 four times this semester. We had 173 show up for our Thursday night meeting a few weeks ago when Alex Eisner came. It was amazing. Um, personal records and engagement in terms of our Bible studies and our team huddles. And, um, and all of that is good. Numbers are good. Um, but more importantly, um, so many students have given their lives to Jesus and gotten baptized and taken the next step in their faith. Um, we asked students to stand up at our last meeting this Thursday um, if this kind of fit them. And we said, stand up if you've given your life to Jesus. Stand up if you've gotten baptized. Stand up if you took the next step in your faith. Stand up if you gave something up just because God asked you to. And um, to see our students um, jump up and be happy to praise God for the life change that he has brought. It's been a wonderful celebration, and we celebrate with you. Thank you um, for your part in making this possible, for your part in seeing college students' lives change forever with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we love you. Um, we're so happy to be here with you this morning. Um, I have been given the task of the Lord's Prayer which is found in Matthew 6. We're going to look at verses 9 through 15. Um, my guess would be, I could be wrong, but my guess would be this is probably the most often quoted passage of Scripture. Um, I mean, you think about, think about the millions of Catholics who recite this daily and sometimes multiple times in a day. And we as Christians, many of us have made it a part of our daily routine also. Um, but if you think about the Lord's Prayer and its connection to sports, um, I don't know if you all know, but it is fairly common for a football team to pray the Lord's Prayer before they take the field. And it is a, a custom that we do. It's a voluntary custom um, in the locker room at IEP. Coach Torp will come in, and he'll give his, um, his speech, you know, and what he wants to see from the team for the day. Um, and then we will take a knee, and one of, the, one of the players will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And I'm sure that happens in high school, too. I mean, you think about all the football teams, Friday nights, Saturdays, and then pros on Sundays, Monday nights. I mean, 
Think about the millions of times that this prayer is said just during football season, right? Um, and yet, I also wonder, has it just become habit for us? Has it just become some religious thing that we do? Has it become a set of magical words that we use to unlock what it is that we want. If I just say these right words in this right order, will God then show up and do what I want him to do? Um, and that certainly was not Jesus' intent. And so this morning, can we just take a few minutes and maybe break it down again? Maybe see it with fresh eyes. And maybe have it come with new meaning and new power to us. Um, as we pray the Lord's Prayer the way Jesus intended us to pray for the purpose that he intended us to pray. So before we read the passage, let me say a quick prayer. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you come this morning in power? And I ask it in the name of the Father and the Son. Amen. Matthew 6, 9 through 15 in the English Standard Version reads this way. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. This morning, what I really hope for us um, and as we leave is that we will pray with the correct mindset. Um, when we go into those those football games, I have often prayed with the team at the devotional before, and when I take a knee and touch somebody and pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm not ever asking God for a win. People ask me that all the time. Do you pray for wins? No, I don't pray for wins. What I pray for is that we would be successful. Um, because I really believe that if we approach the game with the right mindset and with the right attitude and we control our actions, we can be successful even in a loss. Does that make sense? And so my prayer isn't that we would win, it's that we would have the right mindset, that we would take the right actions, and that we would find success no matter what the scoreboard says at the end. And so this morning, as we approach this Lord's Prayer, um, Jesus is trying to reset our, our mindset and our attitude. Joe did a fantastic job last week telling you the negatives. Don't do this, right? Hey, when you pray... Don't do it with big words and flowery language to impress other people. Don't go out in public so everybody sees what you're doing. Get, get alone in your closet with God who is in your closet. And don't try to impress him, but just, there's all the devils, right? Don't do this, don't do that. And this morning we get to the, okay, so pray this way. Here's what you do, and we're going to reset the mind. So, I've got six quick points this morning. The first one addresses the first part of this, our Father in heaven. We are praying to the one who is near and in control. It's really important that we understand to whom we are praying. The one who is near and in control. The word Father used here um, is the Greek word 
pater, which means of God generally as the creator, preserver, governor of all men and things, watching over them with fatherly love and care. The God we're praying to is sovereign. He is in control, and he is near to us. In Romans 8.28, which might come in as a close second, as the most often quoted Bible verse, um, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. God is sovereign. He is in control, and he is causing all things for his children to work out for good. And then in Philippians 4, at the last half of verse 5 and verse 6, it says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Lord is near to us. And in Acts 17 and verse 27, Paul is speaking to um, those at Mars Hill. And he's using their, the words of their poets and their philosophers to speak to them. And he's saying, listen, we've got to pursue this God, but he's not that far away. He's really close to each one of us. And so we are praying to the God who is close and the God who is in control. Um, Joe ended last week. He, he mentioned something kind of quickly and moved on, and it's a good bridge. And that is this idea that God as near, Father, close to us, um, would be something really new to the Jewish culture. Um, in the Old Testament, there were analogies where God was seen as Father, but they never addressed him as such. And so when Jesus comes, the Son, it's very appropriate for the, fun to, for the Son to say, pray to the Father. But he also tells us to do the same. In the same way that Jesus relates to the Father, we should have that also. So it's something very new. It emphasizes our childlike dependence on Dad to provide for us. The God who is never out of control. We had uh, access in my home um, to some channels that put on some old stuff. I mean like black and white if you have followed the progression of fathers in TV um, over the years, it has really changed the way fathers have been portrayed, right? I mean, now we're like absent-minded, funny buffoons. That's just kind of like what that is, right? We don't know anything, right? Anything we do right is purely by accident. That's kind of how we're looked at in television today. But um, back when I was a kid and when my dad was a kid, um, it was very different. There were shows like... Uh, Leave it to Beaver, and Father Knows Best, and The Waltons, and then Color TV came along and we got the Brady Bunch, right? And there were these fathers who, they were in control. Like, you could look to them because they had the answer. They had whatever it was that you needed, Dad could provide that to help you fix whatever it was you had messed up, right? Um, and that really is the picture of the God that Jesus is portraying here. He is never out of control. He's always got the answer. He always has exactly what it, what it requires to fix you and your situation. So as we pray to our Father in heaven, we're praying to the one who is both near and in control. Number two, hallowed be your name. We are praying to the Holy One. 
There's an interesting line here. It's an interesting dichotomy because God is both near to us and yet he is so other than us. He is holy. In Revelation 4.8 it says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And in Revelation 15.4, Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. There's both a closeness that we have, but there has to be a recognition that he is far and above what I am. Um, Coach Tortorella and I have been friends for about 15 years uh, since I started as the football chaplain with the team. And over those years, he and I have become really close. We're good friends. Uh, I've had the honor and the privilege of being able to serve his family at different points. Um, and so I can walk into Coach Court's office, and I can sit down, and we can be really relaxed, and we can laugh about things, right? And, um, and he lets me in, in a way that not everybody gets to get in, because we have this closeness and this friendship. But make no mistake, when I interact with IUP football players, he's still Coach Tour. He, he's not, you know, my friend Tour. He's... he's he is the head coach of the football team, and he bears all of the authority and the responsibility for that. There is a closeness that we have, but make no mistake, he's the head coach and I'm not. Does that make sense? And it's the same way when we come to the Father, we have to both know that, yes, he lets us in in a way that is marvelous and wonderful and close, but that doesn't allow us to bring him down to our level. He is still holy and high above. Um, I, was a, I was a secondary ed major in college, and one of the things they told us is, as a teacher, you have to be able to connect with your students. You have to be able to let them in and get close with them, but don't ever let them forget that you're the teacher. Right? And so we are approaching the one who is near and in control, but who is also holy. Number three, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are three aspects to this. We're praying about the reign and rule of God. And the first thing we're praying about his reign and rule is that it would come now. That it would come now in the world, and that it would come now in me. Let me ask you something. Um, how often do you pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> if you have kids, you probably pray it more often. Um, Post-COVID, I have prayed it more often. Like, I'm done with this place. Jesus, you can come anytime. You have my permission, okay? Um, but we should be praying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and um, I was there with Louis Giglio for this big conference on. Some of you know Louis. He's my favorite preacher in all of the world. Um, and so they had a conference, and I was there. And one of the things he has taken up is Bible translation. And there's the belief that since the scripture says he's going to come back and kill all that earth, well, then we better get on the task of making sure all that earth so that he can come back, right? Not that you're holding him up. I'm not saying that. But um, 
It was thought a couple of years ago that it would take 40 years for all of the people groups to receive translation of the scriptures in their own language. We were at least 40 years away. And some people decided, um, we don't want to wait that long. So let's get on this. And this group has gotten together, and they've gotten on this Bible translation thing, and now we're only 10 years away. 10, not necessarily from Jesus coming back, but from everybody hearing, and now Jesus can come back, right? I mean, so, um, so how interested are we really in having his reign and rule show up? Like, is that something we want to participate in? It could be. And if more of us jump on, it could be quicker than 10 years. Are we excited about Jesus' reign and rule coming back to the earth? Coming back to take us away from the earth? And then, would it come in, in my life? Um, are we excited to say, hey Jesus, why don't you show up and do something in me today? Don't let me delay in doing those good works which you have prepared in advance for me to do. Proverbs 3.23 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Are we excited to rush to do what God has called us to do today? So we have to pray that his reign and rule would come now. We have to pray that his reign and rule would come fully that I would not withhold any part of myself from his lordship. One of, the top, uh, one of the illustrations we give our students about Jesus' lordship in our lives is this idea of open hands, that everything I have is subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's my major, that's my playing time, that's my children, that's my job, that's where I live, that's how much money I make, that's everything, Right? And oftentimes we say, Jesus, come and be Lord of this. I'm going to hold on to these other things, but you can have this. And then over time we say, all right, I'll give you this too. And he shows himself to be faithful. And what we're, we're headed toward is an open hand that says, you have lordship over all of this. And that's what we're praying when we say, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That his reign and rule would come completely and fully. And then the last piece of this, the third piece is, pray that his reign and rule would be embraced. Let me ask you this question. In heaven, when God has a task to hand out, when he has something that he wants done, he taps an angel and he says, I need you to go take care of this. Do you think the angel says, do I have to? Hey, Joe's not busy. Why don't you send him? Um, God, I, li I like your idea. I see what you're doing here. It's a good thing. I'm busy. I will get to it. You think that's what you think those are the conversations that happen in heaven? They happen in my house, but they don't happen in heaven. I think when an angel gets tapped, I think they say, I'm up, it's my time. God, what do you have for me? I can't wait. It's going to get my best effort. Let's go. Sit, lay it on me. Let's go get it done. And so his reign and rule has to come now, it has to come fully, and it has to be embraced. Now once we have acknowledged that he is the God who is both 
near and in control, that he is holy. Once we have embraced his reign fully and immediately, now we're ready to ask for right things with right motives. And so the last half is the asking. Okay? So number four, give us this day our daily bread. We pray for daily bread. Now, Jesus is speaking to people who work daily, get paid daily, just enough to live daily. Many of us in the room do the same thing according to statistics, except it's not daily, it's weekly. We work weekly to get paid weekly, just enough to live weekly. W-E-E-K-L-Y, right? And so he's speaking to a people and saying, listen, every day, pray that God would give you enough to get through today. And he's speaking about literal bread, but the meaning isn't just literal. Because there are many of us who have to show up believing in a sovereign God that he's going to give us what we need to get through today. And for many of us, it's not bread. Listen, friends, I don't need bread today. I don't need bread for about three weeks. I'll be just fine. Okay? But there, there are things that I need today. There are things that you need today. Um, I, I've been struck in this post-COVID culture how much loss we have experienced. How much disappointment we have experienced. And the anxiety and the depression that has that has created among us. I have students who have lost parents way too early. I have dear friends who have lost children way too early. Many of us have lost friends or husbands or wives way too early. And for some of us, that loss is so debilitating that it is hard to get out there. It's hard to accomplish anything. We've had to completely redefine what success looks like on a day-to-day basis. And it may be that we don't need bread, literally, but God, we need your strength. God, we need your courage. God, we need to know that you are sovereign, that in spite of what I feel today, I know you're in control, and and that's got to get me through today. And Jesus is saying, the one who is near to you, the one who is sovereign, is hearing that prayer as you offer it up. Whatever it is that you need to get through today, God is that for you. He will be that for you. He will give that to you. 1 Timothy 6, 7-10 says, For if we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. What does it mean for us to be content with the one who gives enough bread to get through today? If that's my mindset, I'm just trying to get through today, I'm just trying to be successful today, I'm headed in the right direction. I want to jump out of order here in the passage, because number five, I want to be, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
I'll circle back to forgiveness of sins because I want to cover that verse and the ending verses together, okay? So number five, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray for Satan to be kept at bay. Friends, we are, we are in a war, and we don't know it because we don't see it. But there is one who is um, walking around like a lion, waiting to pounce on us, looking for an opportunity to wreck our lives. Jesus said it to Peter in this way. He said, Peter, well, I'm paraphrasing, you better get to praying because Satan has asked to sift you. He's coming after you hard. Are you ready? And then I, if I asked you this morning, um, hey, just want to let you know, Satan has to sift you. Are you prayed up and ready to go? What would your response be? Yes, I've consulted the one who is near, the one who is sovereign. I have asked him to bind Satan and keep him away from me, and I feel pretty good about where I'm headed. Or would it be, uh-oh, I might be about to have my lunch eat. Right? So part of this prayer is, God, keep Satan away from us. And then number six. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We are called to pray for forgiveness. Both the forgiveness I need and the forgiveness I need to give to others. Um, there's a parable in Matthew 18, which I'm assuming you will get to at some point as you work through the book of Matthew 18. I don't want to steal any thunder, but I'm also fully confident you will have completely forgotten this by the time you get there. So I think we're okay. All right? But in Matthew 18, there's this story of this master who has two slaves, and the one slave has this debt to the master that is completely unrepayable. Uh, he could work several lifetimes and never pay this debt off. And the master calls him to account and says, hey, you owe me this. This is the course of action I'm going to take. And he pleads with the master and begs him. And the master says, all right, I forgive you the debt. Now that slave goes out and finds another slave who owes him a relatively small debt. And the second slave says, hey, please uh, forgive me. I'm going to pay this back. This, this should not be a problem. And it says he grabs him by the throat and has him thrown in jail over this small debt. Now those around who are watching go to the master and they say, did you hear what this slave of yours did? And the master calls him in and he says to him, what in the world are you doing? I forgave you this huge debt and then you went to your peer and wouldn't, forget, wouldn't forgive a little debt? You ought to have forgiven as you were forgiven. The sign of one who has been forgiven is to offer forgiveness. If we have a hard time offering forgiveness to others, what that means is, in our heart, we don't really understand exactly how much God has forgiven us. 
We like to thank God for reaching me. I was I was really close. Like I was a good guy. God, Jesus didn't really have to completely die on the cross for me. Just a little blood would have been all right for me. But for that dude, he had to go really far. That's the one that required. This is heresy. You all understand I'm being sarcastic, right? Okay. So we think God forgave us a little bit. But really, God forgave us a debt that was unrepayable. And what is our response to that? Our response to his forgiveness in our lives should be. We should be so impacted by, so overcome by, so inspired by the mercy of God that we can't help but pass it along to others. These three things, if we have the right mindset, these are the three things that Jesus puts out there that we, we should ask for. Of the God who is near and is sovereign, of the God who is holy, we should ask him, give us what we need to get through today. Give us a heart of forgiveness that reflects the forgiveness of, the, of our great God. And would you bind Satan and would you keep him away? This is what sets us up to be successful today. Don't be out praying in front of people. Don't use your big words. Get in your closet and beg this God for, for, for these things. This is how you ought to pray. We must pray with the correct mindset if we're going to be successful today. So let's pray together. Holy and omnipotent Father, may our love and our worship be worthy of you and pleasing to you. May we happily submit to your reign and rule, asking that you would accomplish your will in and through us for the redemption and restoration of the world. Give us everything we need to be successful today. Bind Satan and keep him close. Let the extravagance of your grace and mercy inspire and cause us to forgive every offense against us. In all of this, Lord, may you receive the glory that only you deserve. And Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen and amen. Mm -hmm.